0: My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Thank you for joining us once again here on transmissions i'm so glad to have you here so glad to be here today with my guest chicago's angel bat Dawood. she is a composer a clarinetist a poet and a vocalist and she's one of the shining stars on the great international anthem label where she's put out some incredible records like the recent album live with her band the brotherhood as well as Oracle, the incredible Transition, East single. She's always got a ton of stuff coming out. And she plays with other groups as well. She's featured very prominently on the new Damon Locke's Black Monument Ensemble album now. Uh, And uh, I highly recommend checking that out. She joined me to discuss record collecting and the influence of Sun Ra, her history with music and religion, creative practice, race, and a lot more. We like to have fun on this podcast, but Angel took things to another level with this playful and deep reaching talk. I'm very thankful uh, to her for doing so. It kicks off before we were sort of officially recording, but luckily she was already recording her end. Uh, and so you get a little bit of a spiel that she introduced the talk with. It's really, I I hope you enjoy it. But before we get into that, uh, I'll mention of course that Transmissions is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. So if you want to get some cool stuff, our new print journal is well underway, plus bonus audio and radio shows and a lot more mixtapes, stuff you're really going to want to hear, head over and check that out. And if you want to support Transmissions even more, you uh, can rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts and please do click that share button as always you can find my contact info at aquarium drunkard so drop me a line and let me know what you're thinking of the show what you'd like to hear more of i always love hearing from you all so you're tuned in to transmissions here's my conversation with angel bat dawood i'll speak with you more on the other side
1: Habitually have a platform that tells you that whatever you got to do is has to be in a minute. Why did they do that? Why? Yeah. Why did they even think of that? Like they specifically made it a minute, and now yeah, all of us can't yeah. really hold our because t- I used to read so many books, you know, and of course. I would read books for hours, you know. And now it's just yeah. like I find myself like, okay, I'll read like a chapter or two, and then I'm like grabbing.
0: Oh yeah. Your phone. You are scrolling. I, I do the same. Yeah.
1: They got us, man. So we that's why it's important that we have we if we're gonna be in this, it's not about shutting it down. It's like no no no, how do we preserve our humanity in this? It's a rhetorical yeah. question. Yeah. But it just Le- has to sit there in your mind at all times.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Well, are you are you recording on your end?
1: Yep, I'm recording.
0: I am too, so we'll just dive in if that sounds good to you.
1: Dive in. All right.
0: Angel, thanks so much for taking the time to join us here on Transmissions. I'm so glad you're feeling better. We've corresponded a little bit. Uh, You had to deal with the virus a couple months back, but uh, how are you feeling these days?
1: I am feeling so much better, like for real. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm feeling back to myself, and that is largely due to... The community of the world and my friends, I had so many loving messages and prayers and positive vibrations sent my way. And that is why my recovery has been phenomenal. I feel even stronger than I did before.
0: That's wonderful to hear. I know that, um, you know, for me, your records were such a huge part of getting through the last year you know, that when I saw that you had, that you weren't feeling well and that you were dealing with that, I mean, I was immediately, you know, wanted to type out a quick message of, it's funny, before we started uh, getting into the proper interview, we were going back and forth about the perils of Instagram, but that was one of the good, that was one of the good things that we can use it for, which is to connect with each other and, and to wish someone well, especially when, like you, you know, they've, Given somebody who's given so much great art, so I'm I'm glad you're feeling better and that we're able to to sit down and have a, a conversation.
1: So much that means so much to me because the album, you know, I I made it by myself, you know, alone in my own little world, and the fact that I shared it with the world and. um people were there alongside with me makes me feel really special and loved. And I know that's what really humanity is, that right there. And so I'm very grateful for those words. Thank you. Well, before we get into anything too heavy,
0: I'm curious. Your Twitter bio and your Instagram bio notes that you're, I'm going to read a quote here, a black American, a traditional music composer, improviser, pianist, clarinetist, and vinyl addict. So I wanted to know. Um, I know the last year has been rough on record stores, but uh, have you had any good vinyl scores lately? Have you found any records that have been on your list uh, in the last couple months uh, that you that you might want to share with us? Oh, oh,
1: oh my goodness! When I say addict, addict, yeah, like, yeah. if there's a record, <laughs> I have to have it. You yeah, know, yeah. like I worked in a record store for four years and that was the best music education that i ever received it took my musical knowledge and everything to like the upteenth level when i started really getting into vinyl and um the only thing is when you have an addiction and your bank account don't match the addiction (laughs) That's when my, we get my. into some issues. That's when we get into major, major issues. And I did I did score something. My good friend, We We, we have an album out. He's an electronic artist. He was like, I'm at this record store. And he sent me a picture of a record um, by Mtume. It's called Rebirth Cycle. And it's been on my golden grail of list. And he's like, yo... I was like, why are you going to send me a picture of this man? And, then he, and I looked at it, I called, I called the record store, it was at Reckless Records here in Chicago. And, yeah. and it was like, I was like, man, I'm finna spend all this money. And the thing is, that was the last record I bought before all my downfall. So I had bought it and I was going to go pick it up and I couldn't because I was in the hospital. And so um, I ended up having them ship it. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's That was the last record I really really bought like during this time.
0: What when you started working in a record store, um what what was your life like when you started working in a record store? What was the what was the shop that you worked in?
1: I worked at Hyde Park Records. It was a wonderful life. It was the best job I like for real <laughs> if I wasn't performing doing this like I would be perfectly happy for the rest of my life. It was the best time of my life. I'm not going to lie like Every day was just so dope and all the characters that I knew like everybody in the neighborhood We were all friends. Like it was a hangout spot, you know, and I could listen to music all Day long and talk about music all day long and it was magical I was sad that it ended because you know, I had to do this part of the journey But that was a luscious beautiful journey. I'm not gonna lie summers in hyde park. Let me tell you we had the door open I'm playing like the best soul music you ain't never heard of in your life on a 45. The breeze is so perfect. Everyone's happy. It's all black people. And we listen to music and vibing. And it was oh that happened like a thousand times a day. It was like, Uh. it was like magic Africa land. Like, what you know, like, black people, we do that. We have an essence. We have this thing where, you know, we make something a thing. You know what I mean? And it's particular to black people. You know? And it's a, when you, when you catch on to that thing, it's nothing like it. That's why everybody's obsessed with us, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do know. I do know. Um, what you're describing sounds, sounds incredible and it sounds wonderful. The, uh, the, the the Brotherhood's album is uh, recently. It's about to be out on vinyl soon. Um, you've got a lot of a lot of stuff on on the way. Uh, and, and and I just I wondered when when you first started getting into music, was that physical part of it—the physical representation of of the music, either you know CD or vinyl or tapes—was that always pretty important to you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I went in my back and forths about it for a while because you know with physical copies of your work there's this thing with commerce and and stuff like that that come into play that makes that very tricky and makes Mm -hmm. you kind of question what your intent is for the physical copies so i went back and forth with that a lot because i'm like Yeah, I do want to make money, but at the same time, something about that feel like prostitution. You know, like, that ain't what this art is about. So, um, one of the reasons, one of the ways that I kind of got over that is I started investigating what the word record means. It really means record, like an archive, like a timestamp. And then I started thinking, hmm, what if Ornette Coleman never did a recording of Lonely Woman? Would my life... Wouldn't that be? Uh, oh, what if John Coltrane never recorded "Love Supreme"? What? Ah! Right. I mean, come on. Right. And so, like, right. when I started thinking of it in that way, that like, okay, this is a record and a timestamp, and yes, there is commerce and economics and business involved. But business ain't bad. Toxic business is bad. And unfortunately, the record companies and the ways that music has been done business wise has been snakish disgusting and and horrible we don't got to do business like this right, we don't right, have to do right, business right. like this you know that's that's one of the reasons i love international anthem because we don't do business we don't do record business like that that's not the initiative
0: sure sure
1: we've been just as successful as any other record label by doing business in a good manner which means that you respect the artist this is, right. you know, you respect them and you don't exploit. And you're not talking about numbers. You're talking about putting right. out good art.
0: Well, and you look at the, you look at the catalog of international Anthem and the people you see, you know, Jeff Parker. Come on. Uh,
1: so Junius Black, Black Paul, Monument
0: Ensemble. Right. Jamie
1: Branch, like the musicians on this label. And I'm not just saying it cause I'm on the label. I'm like, I was a fan of these musicians before I got signed. You know, like, um, it's, good quality and when and then I actually know these people Ben Lamar Gay they're my friends and when I tell you that these people are good righteous people too like the most loving and kind and genuine and supportive group of people of musicians and then you hear the music they put out and the ideas they have you know it's like come on we can do this the right way yeah, and it's yeah. it's been working. It's given the label a lot of success because of that, and and I'm saying that to encourage labels and people and everyone out there. Just stop being shady. Just do right by people, and then we can all be blessed. It's so easy.
0: What do you what do you think that doing right by people looks like? What is that? What is that? You know, uh, in terms of of the the ways that a label could engage with this artist in a in a less exploitative way what does that look like when you sort of imagine it or or rather in your experience with a label like international anthem what how has that looked
1: that is a really great question and when you asked it the first thing that came in my head was transparency Mm -hmm. okay that doesn't mean we completely understand each other or Is it problematic that you have these two white men with all these black musicians under him, like some of the best musicians? Like those things are apparent and those things are problematic, but we're being transparent about them. You know, we're being honest about them. You know, this live album came out because I was being transparent about how I felt at a music festival with a bunch of white musicians and I didn't see any black representation. I didn't see it. I didn't feel it. There was no acknowledgement of it. And it made me feel some kind of way It made me feel very sensitive to anything that happened to me there and Instead of me saying angel get over it. I decided to be transparent about it. I Decided to be transparent so that we can have a conversation and respond to how I'm feeling in this situation because my feelings matter too and if you well, yeah. choose to be transparent with me, then we'll mutually do it. I
0: I think that that I think that that's a that's something that has been lacking from so many of the conversations about race and music is everybody being willing to let their you know the sort of um the sort of guardrails that people put up to maintain certain Power dynamics and to maintain a certain, you know, and 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 part of it is just because that's what people think that that's how things are done, or that that you know to 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 make it in the music business, you know, it traditionally has required uh, a pretty uh required a certain kind of brutality in yes. some ways, you Ooh, know. Brutality—that's
1: so, a great word. Yeah, it is. But, brutal. At, the, mm-hmm. but at the same time,
0: it, it it could be, as you're describing, so much better and it could be so much more uh communicative and i think that that sort of thing that you're talking about in terms of transparency and honesty um i think that that now is the time for that it feels to me like in everything in politics in 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 let's be real and let's actually talk about what what's what's really wrong or what's really bad you know and i might say something different than you but if we're meeting halfway i mean that's where something can actually happen and i feel like you know for you as a as a musician you employ a lot of different um uh methods of working you 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 do you know composing and notation and all that you also improvise and and i wonder if for you when you got into the world of, of free jazz or improv improvised music when you got when you got involved in that did it feel to you like a representation of the, the way a creative partnership could work in that when you're in that space and when you're in that that zone with other musicians, it requires you being fully present in what they're doing and then them also being fully present in what you're doing. And I just wonder, when you got involved with that kind of music, did that did that feeling strike you as something, you know,
1: Absolutely, just as you described it, um, it was the missing sauce that I needed in my musicianship, you know. Because a majority of my life, I had like all these kind of um confidence issues about me as a musician, you know, very judgmental, critical. I'm like, oh, I'm not that good, all I know, you know, all of that bull, and um. It was like and I knew how to read music and I, you know, I, I was studying classical first and foremost before I was even into jazz because jazz just seemed like that harrowing like complex thing I couldn't get, you know, um, but I was always listening to it. And uh, yeah, the, the free jazz scene was what was like the sauce that I needed once that glued with my already kind of classical background. It was a rap. And But I really think that what the free jazz did was it freed me from those twisted ideas I had about what musicianship is. It freed me to a point where I was like, look, I'm just being me. And I just so happen to have a clarinet in my hand. I'm just being me. And I just so happen to be at a piano. I'm just being me. I just got, you know, the spirit and I'm just I'm just being myself. And it was like as soon as the free jazz unlocked that part of me. I don't feel like I can ever do a wrong note. <laughs> I'm like, well, hey, that one was supposed to come out then. And I bless all my work, just like, you know, the the mythology tells us, that, that you know, when, when, when the deity created, he would look back and he would say, that was good. Yeah. Or I would say, yeah. that shit was good, you know? And so, like, whatever comes out of me... I always bless it and I encourage every musician out there, please bless all your work, even if it's not up to your standard. Just bless it. You put work into it.
0: It exists, it exists and it didn't used to. And that's something that's interesting, even if you don't love it, you know. I'm I you know, I I played clarinet for for a long time. Yay, (laughs) Uh, so
1: you know. You know clarinet is a great (laughs) instrument, is it not? Well, it is. It's a wonderful
0: instrument. I played it all through through middle school, into junior high, into high school, and then at some point uh, after high school, I, it just drifted away from me. But I I I remember that you know uh, I love to engage with people who who played clarinet. I know when you first started playing, how how old were you when you started
1: playing? I started playing when I was
0: eleven. Okay, so you were eleven, and the stuff that, as I understand it, that you sort of first encountered was like. Benny Goodman and stuff like that. Yeah, um, and that didn't do it for you so much. Um, but I wonder, uh, as as you got involved in the more the, the jazz side of things, you know, later, did you did you find any players clarinetists who sort of resonated with you, or was the fact that it or the yeah, go ahead. Oh my gosh,
1: yes, Don Byron, mm. this album called Tuskegee Experiment. Let me tell y'all Don Byron whoo This album uh I what can I, I've never like his tone quality of his horn his musical ideas um yeah. it's just it's a wonderful album it came out like in the 90s um but I, he's still definitely doing music now and then, of course, I have to add Shabaka Hutchins because everybody knows him as a tenor player, but Shabaka, but Shabaka from what I know, he started clarinet and he's classically trained in clarinet. and You can hear it, you know. So, and I think sure. on his "Birth of Creation" album, there's this great—I I, I think, I think that's the name of the song—but anyway, on mm-hmm. that album, it's a song where he's like overdubbed bass clarinets, uh, crazy bass and clarinet all together. It is ridiculous. So, yeah. uh, yeah, contemporaries, those are like people who I'm like, yes, yes when
0: when you kind of connected with the the instrument, you know the the Benny Goodman stuff didn't do it for you so much, but classical music did Mozart and stuff like that. how did you how did you how did you first encounter that music? Was it just while you were in band learning and studying?
1: Yeah, it was all of that. I always love classical music, and I always love uh, musicals. Like, so I would hmm. always go to the library um, and I would check out all the music I could, any kind of music. And so I listened to a lot of opera and classical. I was ashamed of it, too. Like, people would be like, I was, because it was like, man, you know, people th- wouldn't think I was cool because I like classical music. And um, so I ah. I wasn't feeling Benny Goodman cause I'm like, man, because I really didn't know what the clarinet was. And I really thought that Betty Goodman was kind of like corny and whack. And so, uh, But I knew Mozart. I love Mozart because Amadeus is one of my favorite movies. And mm. I was like, oh, Mozart clarinet concerto. You're like, yeah. So I started listening to that. Because what I thought was, as a kid, to me, scales and somebody running up and down scales and doing all that, I thought that looked like some superhero stuff. And I was like, wow! I'd love to, you know. I always thought it was cool to see the violinists go crazy, you know. And and I was like, that was the first time that I heard, as I didn't know that the clarinet could go crazy like that. And it was Cla- it was Mozart's Clarinet Concerto. And I would listen to that tape in the morning. I would listen to it when I go to bed. I would listen to it like all the time, every day. I begged my mom, I was like, Mama, can you take me to the music store so I can get the printed music? I learned the music. I was just like so, and, and it was like a video game right all the time my parents wouldn't let us go outside (laughs) they'd be like no Mm -hmm. read a book (laughs) you know so i'd be in the basement just going to town
0: that's awesome your your parents were uh your parents were christian missionaries right and you spent part of your youth in in kenya
1: what what were your years there like it was wonderful, magical. I know it sounds like everything in my life, but it is magical. But I have to say, <laughs> it is like living in Africa was. I'm, so, I'm so grateful for both my mom and my dad for taking us to Africa as children. It was wonderful. You know, we had, like, all of these uh, fruit trees around our house. All we did all day was run around barefoot, climb trees, eat mangoes off the trees, collect chameleons, and, and, you know, just have, like, these—it was like a kid's playground. You know, you'd play outside all day with your friends, and it was just like—we had chickens and a goat, and, you know, it was like— it was magical and just to be in africa to be a little black girl and all day every day my feet get to touch black african soil that ancient beautiful earth you know what i mean like yeah that was a blessing from the most high for sure it sounds idyllic
0: um when you when when you came back to america so were you born in america i don't want to make assumptions
1: I was born in Georgia. My parents, my, my, my mom's from Georgia. My parents mm-hmm. met in college and they got married. But my dad is from Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky. So I was born in Georgia, but I lived in Louisville. You know, mm-hmm. that was, I, that's poor, I guess, would say my home base is. And then we moved to Kenya when I was seven. And then when we came back, we were in Louisville for a bit. Um, and then we moved to the Chicago area in my teens, like around fifteen. So I was—we moved around quite a lot, I guess. <laughs> that's
0: a that's that's a fair amount of of moving around. But it, but I, I'm curious, you know, at some point, you're you're. I, I read um, that your parents became involved in the Black Israelite movement and the sort of the Black Hebrew uh, school of thought, and that you kept kosher and that you did all this other stuff. Was that after coming from Kenya?
1: That happened when we came here to Chicago. Mm. That was a Chicago. Thing, well yeah
0: and I, I'm, I'm curious did that did that inspire to some degree a shift in in your own thinking about the way you could explore uh various you know sort of uh traditions and 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 that you don't have to maybe necessarily because i'm just thinking about being uh, the the child of missionaries in a place and then sort of them going in a whole new direction not a whole new direction but
1: It was exactly what you said. It was exactly, I mean, like, for real, like, you're really good at this. Because, like, that's exactly what it felt like. It felt like um, a shift in myself, you know, because I was, you know, as a child, you kind of just believe what your parents believe. You're like, Mm -hmm. okay, that's what it is. And then when your parents stop believing the way that they taught you one way to believe and they're believing another way, then I'm like, there's another way? You know, it's like, that was the question that started popping in my head, you know, because I already had established that I have a relationship with God. I just do. I always have. And I don't think that's ever going to go anywhere. I like it. It works for me. So, (laughs) um, I'm not going to stop that. And so I had already had that. And I was just like, but there's all these other ways that people think about have, you know, when you believe in God. And so it took me on several different pathways and, and, and I kind of take a little bit from everything on a personal level because I can kind of see not kind of see but I can see a lot of people's logic of of why they believe what they believe and um I kind of collect all the parts of that belief that are beneficial universally you know you can't go wrong with that
0: yeah yeah I think that there's like um the beauty of multiple traditions is that we get these different lenses to see things through and and then another beauty of it is that in all that diversity and all those differing things you notice all these commonalities and so
1: synchronicities
0: yeah and it, it yeah it really is in both of those things are so valuable to understand that there are different ways of seeing the world and that there are shared ways of seeing the world and i think that religion and and that's one of the areas where we really get to explore that. But I read a great interview with Tone Glow uh, it, you, that you did with with Tone Glow, which is a, a a great newsletter that I suggest everybody listening get into. But um, you talked about praying before you play, um, and I wonder if that ties into what you're talking about about sort of blessing uh, your 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 creative endeavors.
1: Yeah, exactly. I don't do anything without prayer, even this interview. I pray before I do it. Why not see we're all just creatures of habit and really honestly religion That word comes from the word to bind To bind means it's, it's like almost like a, a machine to help bind a hat You know, like if somebody doesn't know how to walk and they put those things on their like kids with polio You know, they would put those things on their legs They needed something to kind of bind them to help them walk But eventually like, you know forrest gump. He did he eventually didn't need them, right? He ran and because he he already been bind into a habit, so now he don't need them little brackets anymore. See, that's what religion. Religion is just the brackets, you know, but mm-hmm. it's not the thing. It's just there to kind of help bind you and guide you into a certain habit. Eventually, you ain't going to really need it because you're already going to be doing it naturally. You know, so I'm all about developing habits. You yeah. know, like we yeah. have a bad habit called racism. All right. It's bad. It's bad. Bad. Yeah. So we have to work on. You know, we're gonna have to bind it in something, so that well, we can get on the pathway, so that we don't do that anymore. You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a. It's there are stories that our culture has told itself about itself for a very long time that um, we are now. It's getting harder and harder to suggest that those stories are correct because we, because we know and we see every day all these different ways that that they aren't. You know, um, when I think about what you're what you're saying, you know, religion is. Uh, there's a writer I really like to engage with on Twitter, and we've spoken a lot. Uh, his name's David Dark, and he. Talks about how religion is what you do; it's your practice, you know. And I, I thought about you praying before playing or even doing an interview, which I think that's such a wonderful and I, that I feel so honored just to even think that you know a conversation. a uh,
1: conversation so important, you yeah, know, us no, talking I, together yeah, about absolutely. and the fact that you took the time you want to you want to talk talk to me about about me like. And that's why I pray, because pray is like, you don't really have to know somebody personally. But when you pray for them, you kind of instantly connect with them. And that's something, you know, we were talking earlier before we went on the air about how we're going to have to be more intentional about being human in this world that we live in right now. And that's something that can keep you human, because we can't physically and safely be with each other. But when I take a little moment and I pray... Oh, i pray that me and Jason will have a nice conversation and that things will go well and we'll both feel, you know, I just put those positive intentions on it. Um, it's not going to hurt anybody, really. It's free. I can do it as much as I want. Nobody has to even know I do it. And it's, yeah, it's like, it's like setting the table. Yeah. you know. Yeah. So, so for, you know, for our connection to so that we can still remain human, even though I can't physically be in your presence, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if for you you know obviously live music has been on hold for the, for the the last year and mm-hmm. and into this year um, I wonder if if for you the live the, the act of live music and being in a band and and working together with people and you have all sorts of groups you've got you know, you collaborate with people all the time. You've got multiple. You've got your own, the Brotherhood. You've got a trio of all all women. Um,
1: Sisters of the nitty gritty.
0: Sisters <laughs> of the nitty gritty, which I understand. Uh, our past guest Lonnie Holly. Uh, yeah, Lonnie name upon gave
1: me. us the name. I like. Well, that's it. <laughs> <I'm>
0: like, <laughs> I I think about what I what I miss from let's say uh, the the religious upbringing of my own youth, and I I miss. The feeling of congregation, and, and I wonder if for you, is live music in that setting? Is it? Is it? Is that the main thing? I mean, is that, is is the main draw for you when you are playing, connecting with the people on stage with you, and then, how does that connect to the audience for you?
1: Uh, I love that you brought up congregational. That is exactly what it is, um, and I'm glad you brought that up because I I was trying to find a way to describe it and it is more like i feel like a show is like we're a congregation because i grew up in church all right and i grew up in the black church it's different like if you go if you've never been to a black church you will be like man that was a different type of church service the music is so good like it's like the best music you ever hear in the world um everyone's happy you get happy you never know what's going to happen and so performance wise you know we have like all these worship services, because uh, I listen to a lot of gospel music too, and I remember how good that felt. Um, and so, it doesn't really matter what medium of music I'm playing in, I'm bringing that same spirit with me. Like, I'm on stage and I'm just worshiping. You know what I mean? I'm just letting free, free music, uh, not having any limitations on the expectation of that sound. It's the most free. It's like a roller coaster. You know, I was scared of roller coasters for a very long time. I would get on and I would just hold on like really tight, be like ah! And then one day I was like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm just gonna lift my hands up, and if I die, well then that's it. (laughs) You know? And I did. I just lifted my hands up, and I just flew with the roller coaster, and it was so fun and i was like oh my gosh and then what we do we get off and we back in line again trying to get on (laughs) again you know and it's the same way with like live performance it's like throwing my hands up like in the freeway i was like throwing my hands up on a roller coaster and it's the wildest most funnest ride and if you go on the ride with me everybody in the room could go on the ride with me too i'm not reserving it for you just to be a spectator come on in yeah, you know? like that's how the black church is so like if the pastor says something that you really like or resonates in your spirit you can be like amen you know like that's that's the kind of vibe that happens at the live performances that i do with the brotherhood with the sisters with we on we you know like um
0: yeah it's yeah. just
1: i'm curious you
0: at some point you know, started making beats and things like that in addition to to playing clarinet. When did when did that enter your life?
1: Um, that happened. So that uh, there was a, I was a time point in my life. I was in my early twenties, and I was just like really, I was like unemployed. I was just not thinking good about myself. I hated my life. <laughs> You know, and I was with my folks and my dad. He'd been working with all these great uh, jazz musicians. I didn't know who they were. He's like, oh, my daughter plays clarinet. And so I went to one of their jam sessions and one of the uh, elders there, Eddie Gale, he plays uh, guitar. He says, I think you might like this program. And it was a little music program, kind of like a muse score, you know. Like, you know, all those music. So I put it on the computer and um, I started like, you know, composing little stuff. I was like, oh, this is cool. And then I realized that you could, uh, you know, put sounds. They had many sounds. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I can play back my stuff with different sounds. I was like, what? And there's percussion sounds. And so I started like doing these little beats. And, you know, like I've always been a hip hop fan. I always listen to a lot of hip hop. I was like, oh, this is how they do production. What this is cool, and so um, I started uh, listening to a whole lot of hip hop, studying it, studying it. Um, I would take, I would listen to beats, and and I would notate uh, the beats into the program, and then I figured out a way that I could take and and uh, export that into mm-hmm. a file. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah. now. And then that was like early two thousands, you know, when like home studios was getting big, you know. So I went to like Comp USA or something. I bought some little cheap. Little $30 home recording thing put it on there and I started going to town and I was like this is cool This is so fun And it was my saving grace because you know that was a hard time my life. I didn't feel good about myself and it was really like I would come home from work or You know out I just didn't feel good about myself and but I would go into my little closet my little room And I would be doing these little beats for hours and then I started studying hip-hop As a as an art form because I was like, man, I wonder what it'd be like if somebody rapped on my shit, but I didn't know anybody and I was like too scared to show anybody. Hip hop's intimidating and I'm a woman and I was like like, I'm going to have to rap on my own stuff and so I started like listening to a lot of Nas and some of the you know the hip hop artists that I really really loved and respected lyrically and I started taking their rhythms um, of what their words and I started notating them and then what I would do is I would erase their words and I would put my own (laughs) because i was like nobody's going to know that I just took but it was just a way of me to learn the rhythmic pattern because hip-hop isn't rhyme hip-hop is rhythm you know what i mean it's not like you have to say oh the cat is whack no the words don't rhyme you have to be in the rhythm of the thing and that's what makes it like one of the most amazing art forms i'm I'm glad that that's the product of my generation Uh, that is the product of my generation is is the hip-hop and i'm i Feel like as a black artist I need to know and have and I didn't know that that little experience that I explained to you fast forward is what's getting me through this pandemic you know
0: <laughs> no kidding no kidding do you do you still find um that some of the techniques that you learned um do you still sample your own stuff or, or treat it in that sort of like hip-hop inspired way one of the things that's so interesting is you know we've had jeff parker on the show and he'll talk about how he he just builds these whole little suites essentially the way you know that you would a beat or that that's exactly what he was doing was 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 making this stuff on his own does that do those uh do those elements of being able to augment and and reach retreat your stuff, does that sort of
1: still enter into what you do uh, musically? Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like uh, you psychic or something because that's the next projects that I'm coming out with are basically what you're saying. Uh, This summer, I'm coming out with a a trilogy set, a cassette series um, called Hush Harbor Mixtapes. And um, yeah, so it's going to be some solo stuff it's gonna be three volumes it's gonna be sisters and nitty-gritty and it's gonna be we on we um so that's the cassette and then in the fall i'm coming out with requiem for jazz which Mm -hmm. i'm actually doing what you're saying like i i recorded requiem for jazz about two years ago at uh the high park jazz festival And it was a production. It was everything. It was strings. It was was all black. It was multi-generational. It it was like the biggest production I've ever had to put together in my entire life. And I recorded it. And I've taken that recording, but I've also done what you just said, flipped it. So Mm -hmm. there's parts where it's flipped and I've sampled my own stuff. And then it tells a story, uh, which kind of goes into what I was saying about the Hush Harbors. Hush Harbors are what I do. They're services, congregational services, like we were talking about. You know, yeah. that, that was a tradition with my ancestors that they would do in their time of oppression. And so everything that I do pretty much is a Hush Harbor from even my, my releases that are coming out. So... And and that's what the music is. It's it's both elements of like that. Uh, I think maybe because I listened to so much classical music. Because one thing about classical music that I appreciated was it it was never in a a b chorus bridge. It's like the music could go all over like the sonata form. Like I I just completed a composition a sonata and I really studied the form and it, and it's uh it's a beautiful form. It's a beautiful form about like you know taking two opposing uh you know. Uh, different type of musical ideas and then working them out and in a development and then coming back but changing it a little bit, you know, like, yeah. instead of looking at, like, oh, I'm going to write this lyric and then it's got to go to the bit. It, it doesn't work. You can go into, like, a whole other stretch of a something else that don't make no sense or context to the other thing and never go back to the other thing. That's
0: right. <laughs> I think I think that something that's so interesting about a group of, uh, a generation of jazz musicians who 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 understood who innately understand hip hop too, you know, because it is the music of of the time, you know. It's just what it, you don't have to even actively listen to hip hop to to absorb it, you know? I think something that's so interesting is the way that um I, you you've already talked about, you know, blessing your music and 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 uh treating it as something that is special. At the same time, it sounds like what you're describing is You can also do whatever with it. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not in and of itself. The idea is what's important and the, and, and the, and the manifestation of you making something that's important. You can do whatever with it though. You can chop it, you can flip it, you can. And I think that that's such an interesting and beautiful way to, it's what ties jazz traditionally to hip hop you know they're not you know they're not different expert they're they're d- different expressions of the same sort of thing that i think is what you're talking about
1: you hit it on the nail and i'm i swear you psychic or something because with this requiem the requiem is based off of a movie called the cry of jazz that mm. talks specifically about so the cry of jazz i took the words from the movie and i scored it into the Requiem because the thesis of the whole movie now is set in 1959, made in 1959. It is an integrated cast of mm-hmm. young black musicians and people, black and white people getting together and they're being transparent. And they're talking about things like, Hmm, can a white person play jazz? Can, a, is it only for black? They getting deep. And this is 1959, but That's his right. trustees, when he gets into it, he he comes to the conclusion that jazz is dead. And, mm-hmm. And I was like, what? And let me tell you, when the first time I saw this little obscure movie, it was like around the time that Nas' album came out. Hip-hop is, hip-hop is dead. Yeah. And I was like, what are they talking about? Hip-hop's at this height. I was like, what is he talking about? 1959, that was the biggest year in jazz. Kind of Blue came out that year. Like, come on. Why is this man in this obscure movie saying hip-hop's j-? And he goes into this long, intricate details about jazz and improvisation and what it represents as a black person. The improvisation, the monotonous monotony of going nowhere. That's the loop. And I was like, the loop is the beat, like in hip hop, boom, 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 boom. And then you had the lyricist coming over with the improvisation freestyling. It's the same thing. And so when he came to the conclusion at the height of jazz, you know, because like in the film, the first thing, there's this white woman, she's like, thanks for telling me that rock and roll is jazz. And dude is like... No, rock and roll ain't. J- no, let me break it down to you. And they broke it down to their white friends, and I'm like, how progressive? And of course, it was in Chicago. Of course, it's based in Chicago.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Chicago, this this place where there's this this history and lineage of people thinking, you know, very deeply about this stuff. I've seen I've seen scenes from the Cry of Jazz. There's sun raw fo- sun footage in there, right?
1: and um, that's also the thing too. The special yeah. secret, not secret, but the thing that I'm most happy about is. So the score f- was done by Young Sunrise, And so the finale of the Requiem, I transcribed it. And so that's Sunrise joint. And so Marshall Allen is going to be on this album. Oh, wow.
0: <laughs> like How amazing.
1: Yeah, and I'm, I'm mixing it myself, you know, because it was important that I have as much, uh, black autonomy to us so that's what i've been working on during the the pandemic i started as soon as the pandemic happened that's what got me through just the shock and the trauma of like over oh, quarantine was mm-hmm. that i was working on this requiem and here it is like a year later and i'm like okay i'm almost done with it and um but i had to wait a year for all this stuff like i was ready last year i was really kind of like okay but then it started going through all these transformations I'm like you got to take your time i was like and then the marshall allen thing i was like see what if i put uh, uh, that so i'm exactly. just in here just you know just waiting i'm like waiting for all the nuggets to get together and uh put out all this music so i've been busy you know
0: well you have been so busy you seem to be creating constantly and i want to ask a little bit about a couple of recent guest appearances um you're on um, uh, a Barry Black song, George Floyd, um, and then also you're on the most recent Not Whist album, um, and you do the song Into the Ice Age, which then kind of segues into your friend Ben Lamar Gay uh, singing uh, really about the summer of 2020 uh, on on uh, what Bla- I think is called Black Fire is the name of his track, um, and I'm and I'm curious what what did last summer. Feel now. Now that we're a little removed from from last summer, and we've got a little bit of a chance to like look back on it, what did that? What is that? When you look back on it now, how does that? How does it feel to think about that time?
1: Oh, it feels uh, spicy. It feels like, uh, you know. Um, see, I always felt like that. You know what right. I mean? Like I would be like crying every. I I had this habit that I developed that every night I would go to bed, I would watch police. Brutality videos, you know, I've been doing that for a few years Like years and um, because I wanted to make sure that in my that my heart always still felt tender about that And didn't feel de- desensitized from that and that I still wanted to know that I cried about stuff like that And so I would before I go to bed watch all that and, and see how so many black people are mistreated and then For me doing that years and then to have this summer where it was like, oh now everybody is forced to re-look at this you know and um it inspired a lot of music when so with barry with barry black you know that was just a radio opportunity that came up during that time um, where and i thought it was a cool thing because they're trying to respond to how COVID is and they were like let's do something different like bring these two artists together who are in different Countries and and have them make a track in 48 hours. That was the I was like, that was a challenge I was like, this is so cool. I was like, yes Let's do it. And so linked up with Barry. We automatically hit it off We knew it it was like, oh my goodness. We're about to do something cool and he hit me up and see he's from Manchester England, but that George Floyd thing Affected black people all over the world for some reason all over the world and he was like angel. I'm like I feel like we're right in the moment. We should just directly respond. I was like, that is the most appropriate and wonderful thing to do. And so to be able to be in the very moment of like, when all of that was just, because it was that on top of, oh my goodness, we're in a pandemic, like some science fiction movie. It just felt like world war three, like, you know, yeah. and to be in all of that explosive rage and have the opportunity to connect with another black man, a black man all the way on the other side of the universe and us respond. Yeah. It was, it was fantastic. You know? Yeah.
0: Do you, do you feel like, um, do you feel like as we've gotten far, farther and farther away from the summer, do you feel like people's attention is drifting away from some of the stuff that was so at the forefront at that moment? Or do you feel like what happened last summer Maybe it's both things. I hope it's both. I hope that for the sake of optimism.
1: I think with human humans, I just have this understanding that humans, you know, some things become important and they stop becoming important and, and people are trying to live their life, you know. So I knew there was going to be a natural decline in the interest. But there's secret things happening, you know. Sometimes it's not supposed Sometimes it's all out in the front. And then it also means, okay, what kind of actions do we need to take? And that's why all this slowdown needs to happen in people's lives right now. Stop rushing. Stop we, it. yeah, slow down. like we're we're going too fast. You're doing too much. Stop trying. you know, So I think there's going to be definitely I don't think because, I mean, Americans, that's the thing about living in another country. If you haven't been outside the country and you're stuck in an American bubble, you kind of don't see things. You don't know that like, uh, you don't, everything's, you're controlled by like whatever you see on TV. And there's certain things that people believe in this country. I'm like, you don't have to live that way or think that way. Like, for instance, why is it that it's acceptable For me to pay my bills, I got to look at men who own slaves. That's triggering. Like, why do we act like that's normal? That triggers me. Every time I look at George Washington, I'm like, yeah, but in his mouth are the teeth of, of black people. Like, he literally... Would make dentures with with human teeth, and and for me to to, to commerce, I gotta look at this mama. You know, like the, But when you talk yeah. about it, people like you're being sensitive. Yes, I'm being sensitive because it's, it's sensitive. <laughs> you know, yeah, I don't want to see that every day. and This is supposed to be the country that I'm supposed to be like proud to be a part of, and I gotta see that.
0: I think that what you're what you're saying gets. It gets back to that lack of transparency and lack of honesty about where things actually came from, and I sometimes wonder if maybe it w- if if maybe Americans could have a better handle on their history if they were also willing to be honest about their history. I'm talking about myself specifically too, you know, which is to say, um, uh, uh, there's a. There's an unwillingness to really grapple with the reality of what you said. When you said his mouth was full of the teeth of of slaves, you know? Um, that puts it into a, a kind of uh that it's, disgusting, it's impossible right? to, 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 deny to deny the humanity, humanity of, of that, that you, know? you know? And 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 yet there's an unwillingness to engage with that because of how uncomfortable it makes people feel. I mean it makes
1: you know we, we're gonna have to do it you know it's like yeah i was talking to a friend earlier i was like look you ever have like a sick thought come in your head you be like oh my goodness where did that come from look in the mirror that shit came from you there's no yeah. one else in your head oh no i'm not racist i couldn't be you are though that well, that thought came yeah, into exactly. your head it, no one is in your head you are in there You know, and if something came in your head about a black person or you did something in your head, stop feeling like bad or something that you thought like it is a thought and here's the reason you have it is because it's been a habit for centuries instilled to you by your ancestors they put it in you from birth you keep doing it over and over and over again because it's a habit and so you have to to change your habits you have to think another way in order to think another way i have to bring it up to you so you maybe you didn't know Maybe they know how uncomfortable y'all make black people feel sometimes. You're not trying to. I'm like, yeah, but that statement that you just said made me feel utterly uncomfortable right now, and I don't even know how to tell you. Well, your yeah, presence and in my kind of- you know, your presence. If I'm like in a room full of black people and you come in, I feel like there's a part of me that I can't be myself sometimes. That's not your fault. That's our ancestry. That's the fact. You know, like you said. Our president, the president that you you love, like like your know, Thomas Jefferson and them had a whole black family that he kept hidden, you know, like, come on now. Like, and, and that's supposed to be America with all these different races and people from all sorts of all over the world here. No, it tells you who's in charge. It tells you that it doesn't matter if it's Donald Trump or Joe Biden in office. Those are still old white men then both of them grew up in an era where there was colored and white and they benefited from that so even though they're progressive now they don't say they don't think that they grew up that way in that culture and so there's elements of the way they think that are still there well well well
0: sure well sure and i think that a lot of people probably thought that when we had our first black president that 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 it was a true signal that things had changed but but it wasn't it, 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 it was part of it, right like it was it was it was it was an incremental thing. but then for the first black president to be followed by perhaps the most outspokenly white nationalist president that we've that we've ever had. well that's not actually true. He's not the most outspoken white nationalist. Yeah. he's one, one of many but-, but in recent history, you know we hadn't seen somebody like that take over. so it's a reminder I think, about what you're talking about, which is that those dis- those uncomfortable truths that exist at the core of our stories, I think without true examination of them and without real willingness to sit in an uncomfortable moment with a person. Like, this is, like, I, I don't feel uncomfortable with you right now, but...
1: Um, Part the of fact this that- is an uncomfortable conversation. I feel well, it. right. Because I, I always feel it. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it, though. Because <laughs> it's like, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable because automatically, you know, people don't want to hurt anyone. It's like, I ain't trying to hurt anyone. I just want to live. I'm like, yeah, but we have a culture that that was built off of hurting people for centuries, you know? So this ain't about nobody's fault. This ain't about good or bad. This ain't about a solution, this is about what it is.
0: It's about us talking, and that, that's part of it, right? I think there's a thing that a lot of people feel, uh, I, you know, I don't want to speak for all white people because I can't, you know, but um, but that feeling of, of, well, what if I don't say the right thing? Um, I don't want to sound glib, but I think in order to have true, open conversations, you have to be willing to not put your potential embarrassment or discomfort Yeah, that's pretty the, selfish, don't you think? The...
1: I think that's really fucking selfish. Because the yeah. thing is, if you're denying me an opportunity to have the shit hit the fan, that's, that's denying a friendship part of me. Like, it, In any relationship that you have with a person, and you've got some issues or misunderstanding with that person, you're supposed to go to them and be like, hey, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And if that person really loves you and is your friend, you know, they'll be like, "Oh, I won't do that anymore." You know, and so like when right. I bring up stuff, it's me saying, "Hey, da, da 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 boundaries." You know, and if you really love me, you'd be like, "You know what? I don't completely understand anything that you're saying. I don't even feel like what you're saying is right." It's called validation. Now, learn how I learned validation techniques because I was in a relationship with a person who had a very serious personality disorder, and in order to communicate with him, I had to learn some validation techniques. And validation means you don't agree or disagree with this person. You just validate their experience. So when he's like angry, he's not really angry at me. He's just angry because nobody's heard him. And when I started like using these validation techniques of like, I can completely understand how you could be angry about that. And I use it on one of my good friends too here, uh, 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 Dr. Charles Joseph Smith, who has autism. And he calls me very frequently. He calls everybody frequently because he also has bad days. And when he calls me, and I know this validation works really well with with people with autism. He calls me, and he's like, I'm depressed. I hate myself. He talks about, he gets so depressed. And it's not that I'm trying to fix his problem or help him. I just say, man, that's fucked up. I validate that he's he's angry. I'm like, he's angry right now. And maybe it's for a reason I don't understand. But you know what? My friend is angry. And I'm just going to sit here and just be like, man, that's fucked up. I'm sorry to hear that. You know, and so, like, that's all I'm, I think that's all that, like, we can do right now is to validate each other and even validate your uncomfortableness. I understand, Jason, that this makes you, my, some parts of this conversation may make you feel uncomfortable, you know? It may make us feel uncomfortable, but we're going to get through it. Because here, now you're going to have an understanding about me, and I'm going to have an understanding about you, and you'll be more aware. And then that's that right. we, can, we can live on. If we keep doing that more often, it'll work.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's really part of what um, part of what needs to happen. I'll tell you what I'm personally angry about right now is there's somebody out there with a weed eater that <laughs> is just, just like, like just like shredding their front lawn, and I'm like, what the fuck, all day long, nothing. And then the second we start recording, somebody's out there. Anyway, whatever.
1: Only because that's what happens when you do like when you're on the right track. Uh,
0: exactly right.
1: <laughs> we be calling it. Uh... Uh, what do we call it—the devil. <laughs> I was like, we don't have this conversation whether you like it or not. But the That's good right, story, and, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But I, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, it is. It's funny, um, because of the nature of of, and we talked uh, before again before we, I, we should have just started. I should have started recording everything we said so that everybody could have heard it about about social media. But you know, it, there's a there's a there's a fear among almost everybody that you're gonna say something wrong or you're going to and i don't ma- i don't mean strictly on a race thing here i'm saying in general people are afraid uh to to
1: to, to say the up. wrong thing think. i feel like but, say the wrong thing then and then that's let's exactly let, it, it, right? let the shit hit the fan let it let let's let loose i used to be the same way i'm avoiding conflict and i'm like no let's let loose because what i find is that it just it's it just as better. Then you don't have all this pent up oppression. You know, you have to be uncomfortable with being, um, you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. It is not easy. But if you can That's hone right. that craft, let me tell you, you can get through anything in life. If you can hone that craft of, you know what, I'm going to sit in my uncomfortability. It don't feel good. I'm going to really look at myself. I'm really going to look in the mirror and be like, yeah, that evil thought. Mm-hmm. That was me that did that. There's no one else in my head but me. And I think evil thoughts. And then what I want to do, do you want to stay thinking evil? No, I don't. I don't like thinking evil thoughts. And so oh, then yeah. I have to put, I, yeah, I don't like it. Some people like it. Those are called you the wicked. Now, if you if you wicked, I'm not saying you can't stop being wicked, but the righteousness will prevail. And a righteous yeah. person, it ain't. here's the definition. Righteousness don't mean you don't fuck up and that you don't do things wrong. No, 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 no. Righteous means you are uncomfortable when you're doing wrong.
0: That's right.
1: You're uncomfortable. He's like, oh, I don't feel right. Uh, that is a good sign. If you are doing something wrong and no one can tell you what right or wrong is, you know when you're wrong. You know. You don't need right. no one to tell you that wasn't a good thing to do you know so you i'll leave that to other people i'm not here to boss people's lives that's one thing i never really liked about church because they be telling people don't drink don't I was like look i don't know what people need for their lives me, me i too. have no idea you know but they know in their heart when something ain't right and you know when something is wrong so that's right w- whatever you sitting in you know look at yourself and stop being afraid to make mistakes. let's make mistakes together so ross got that song if you make a mistake, you did something wrong. Make another mistake and do something right. Make a that's mistake, right. and you did something wrong. Make another mistake and do something right.
0: Yeah, that's ex- you're exactly right. And, and that's what Sun Ra, he wrote all the time, right, about angels and demons at play, right? We all have to wrestle with the things that are happening inside of us. And some of them feel bad and some of them feel good. And, but it's all, it's all
1: in there all you there's no one else but you i don't even exist like people think they're so important ain't nobody thinking about me i'm thinking most people are thinking about themselves a 100 percent of the time why because it's just you (laughs) And, and everybody that you know is just there for you to figure something out about yourself
0: yeah whether we know it or not sometimes whether we know it or not, sometimes we we are accidentally maybe conditioned or maybe on purpose to think of ourselves as the main character in the movie and everybody else is the supporting cast. You know, I get it. It's
1: <laughs> I do. I mean, but it's yeah. true. This is the angel show. Like, in fact, I've even had like little visions. Like, like when when I've had like a really nice day. Like, I remember I was at one apartment. I was walking home. It was beautiful Chicago day. The breeze was just perfect, and I saw the credits rolling up. Directed by Angel, starring Angel. <laughs> I made it, Angel. <laughs> Cinematography Angel. I saw the soundtrack. Soundtrack by Angel. And I was just like, and I do that every time again because it's true. It is just yeah. you. That's why you have to be you. Because like no one can be Angel but me. No one has my DNA but me. No one has your DNA but you. Why would you want to be anyone else? It is right. your show, and if I showed up in your show, that's my guest. Exp- that's my guest appearance. You know, guest starring and I, you know what? It's an honor to make a guest appearance in people's lives. Start thinking of it that way.
0: That's true. It's an That's honor
1: true. to be a guest appearance in somebody's life. And if somebody says something like, hey, I listened to your record and it helped me. What an honor. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Thank you.
0: Well, Angel, it's been such a great time talking with you. Um, our time is closed up, but before but before we go, I want to ask you. Um, I played your incredible collaboration with Black Monument Ensemble, now Forever Momentary Space, on a uh, on my radio show, Range and Basin, and I was curious if it wasn't too much of an ask if you could tell me about what a Forever Momentary Space might feel like because at the end of the song that's you saying that 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 that, that's something you'd achieved right
1: forever momentary space you know is that everlasting life idea you know like everlasting I love that idea you know that that moment um that like those moments that I try to create in my life see make your life quality don't think about quantity make your life quality like Make yourself a dinner, but try to be like extra gourmet about it. If it's just you saying you ain't got any, you know, and go like get like the freshest ingredients and and the most decadent, you know, get some truffle oil, do something, you know, marinate and then sit down and light some candles. You know, last night I sat down, I light some candles and I sat by the window and I ate this delicious meal that I made and I smoked some weed and I looked out into the sky, sunset, and I was just like, this is life, quality. This is the richness of life right here. If you start making that a habit, meaning just do it very often, you know, it, it's very minimal labor. doesn't take that much. just takes a little bit of time. And if you start making your life scrumptious like that. Then your life will be scrumptious all the time, everlasting, forever momentary space. And when we were in that garden, that was I was having a momentary space, meaning I was in the. This was beautiful. It was so beautiful because of COVID. We recorded outside um, at an experimental sound studio, and they have a lovely backyard patio. It's just beautiful with the trees. They had the microphone set up, and we're all there. These are people that I haven't seen in months because of COVID and we're playing and singing the most beautiful music I've ever heard. Cause Damon's incredible. Damon Locke, the coolest dude in the world is here. All these people are wonderful and the cicadas are out and it's that summer Chicago, beautiful summer smell. And I'm like, I cannot believe how blessed I am right now. And so you want to hold on to those. Cause like right now I can always go back to that space, you know? so now now is always prep now is right now make it make it a habit to make your life juicy you know you can do it and, and it doesn't cost a lot
0: that's right that's right it's being a kind of kind to yourself that allows you to maybe exist uh just for a second without thinking about all the other stuff and just be in that moment and then it's i think maybe surprising um how sustaining that is your 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 records capture that feel angel and i appreciate you speaking with me about them so honestly and candidly and um i also want to say that uh just like so many of the great conversations that i've had on this show um it was fun talking with you it's always Ah. fun to be uh you know engaging with 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 your work and, and with your art and i appreciate you taking the time
1: Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad you said fun. You're like psychic or something, man. Like you' really picking up on my vibration. Like you really picked up on my vibe. Like everything you said, all the questions you asked are I'm like, yes, that's exactly how I <laughs> and fun the, the reason I'm saying it is because I always tell people if it's not fun, I'm not gonna do it. I'm sorry, y'all, but it's, I don't uh... do boring things. like life has to be fun for me. If it's not fun, I'm gonna say no. I'm sorry. <laughs> Actually, well, I'm not after... sorry. <laughs> I gotta have
0: fun. I I, for, I forget who said it, but they said, I don't want your revolution if I can't dance, you know, which is a which is a true thing, you know what I mean? Like you have to be this has to be for me, the reason I like talking about this stuff is because um it's joyful to talk about uh ways that things could be better or less uh stuck. And nobody makes it. Nobody makes the world except those of us who are in it, you know? And so we can make it different too if we if we if we want to. And make I think mean,
1: make it if we try. That's what Slider Family Jones said. And that's when you right. said joy, um yeah. you know, enlightenment, I do I honor Sun Ra on the beginning track of the live album, I do enlightenment. And he says the sound of joy is enlightenment. Yeah. The sound yeah. of joy you know like yeah. we have to seek joy make your life joyful and yeah. like if we do that we'll be fine okay just do that you don't have to figure out all this other stuff just try to find some way to make your life enjoyable yeah that doesn't harm well, you or others
0: <laughs> exactly exactly will your records help help on that front angel thank you so much for taking the time thank i'm so you. glad that we were able to make this happen
1: yeah me too
0: to do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Jason Woodbury. I write, produce, and host the show. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton. Sarah Goldstein and Jonathan Mark-Walls do design for the program, and I want to extend a big thank you to each one of them. Our executive producer and top of the show announcement is Aquarium Drunkard founder Justin Gage. On the recommendation front before I head out, I'd suggest you check out the new album by Flock of Dimes, featuring former Transmission's guest, Jen Wozner. It's called Head of Roses, and I am obsessed especially with the second song on it. It's called Price of Blue. So give that a spin It's this ragged guitar thing that gets transmuted into this glorious, hyper-colored pop creation. It's really daring, and uh, nobody is doing it the way Jen is doing it. So check that out. We will be back next Wednesday with another all-new talk, another strange conversation for these strange times i'll be joined by country singer al riggs keep yourself safe until then and we will speak soon